Good morning. Our first reading is taken from the book of Exodus, and it's uh, chapter 4, commencing at verse 27, and page 55 in the Pew Bible. The Lord said to Aaron, Go into the wilderness to meet Moses. So he went. And he met him at the mountain of God and kissed him. Moses told Aaron all the words of the Lord with which he had sent him and all the signs with which he had charged him. Then Moses and Aaron went and assembled all the elders of the Israelites. Aaron spoke all the words that the Lord had spoken to Moses and performed the signs in sight of the people. The people believed. And when they heard that the Lord had given heed to the Israelites and that he had seen their misery, they bowed down and worshipped. Thank you, Martin. Apologies for getting your name wrong. Um, So this week, Luke and I decided that we would share the service between us and share the the sermonating between us as well. Um, So we're both going to do a short sermonette, which is a a phrase that I have coined. Um, As both of us this week spent the first half of the week um, at a sort of discussion core group of people up in Regents College in Oxford, trying to come up with um, a course or some material to create better safeguarding for LGB people within churches. Um, And actually, some of what we talked about there and I was inspired by has led to our sermon this morning. To begin with, I'm going to show, well, hopefully, (laughs) a video is going to be shown by Tim on the overhead projector, um, which is a video that we saw this week Um, And it has inspired me to think about, like, it kind of, it it spoke to me. It's also quite funny. So we watched this video um, this week, and it kind of, I said, like, it spoke to me, it encouraged me and and inspired me. Um, Because I often think of, like, Bloomsbury as being that lone nut, often out there on the side of a hill with its shirt off dancing. Um, And we we were often, like, the, the first ones to do things, or at least I feel like we have been previously. We watched this video as an encouragement of thinking about, well, how can we get this message of inclusion that we want to share out as far as possible? And recognizing that actually it wasn't going to be people like Bloomsbury that were going to really create this movement, that we needed to get followers, we needed to get those in your normal kind of more um, average churches and, and like other churches that aren't so quite infamous to get on board with this movement that would that and that would carry people. So it was quite an exciting idea and and it made me think about us and it made me think about this year that is coming up ahead of us and the year that we've been through. And what I was reminded of first of all when I was watching this video was the passage um, that we had as our first reading this morning. This passage where Moses is essentially the shirtless nutter on the mountain, and Aaron is his first follower. So I'm going to read the passage again and sort of break it down. The Lord said to Aaron, 
go into the wilderness to meet Moses. So he went. As I said, Moses is the shirt that's not on the, the mountain, and Aaron, his first follower. Moses told Aaron all the words of the Lord which he had sent him, and all the signs which he had charged him. So Moses embraces Aaron and invests in him and shows him everything that he's known so far. Then Moses and Aaron went to the assembled all the leaders of the went and assembled all the leaders of the Israelites. And Aaron spoke all the words that the Lord had spoken to Moses and performed the signs in the sight of people. So now it's Aaron demonstrating that actually he has been included, that this message is not just for the crazy Moses on the side of a mountain, but actually we can all be part of, all of the Israelites could be part of this message because he can do it too. And the people believed, and when they heard that the Lord had been given heed to the Israelites and that he had seen their misery, they bowed down and worshiped. So more followers join and suddenly they have a movement. So I was thinking about this passage and about like how Jesus is, is as well, often, he's the ultimate lone nutter, I think, on the side of a mountain. And another passage came to mind, which was Matthew, Matthew 4, 18 to 22. And so as he walked by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fish for people. Immediately they left their nets and they followed him. They were the first followers. It then goes on to say, as he went from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, in a boat with their father Zebedee, mending their nets, and he called them. Immediately they left the boat and their father, and they followed him. So the first followers, like Peter, uh, well, Simon and Andrew, are already with Jesus. And then James and John see that there is a starting to be a crowd form and they want to be in the in crowd. And so they drop their nets, they leave their father, and they too follow Jesus. And we have the beginning of this movement. Last week, I was essentially calling us to follow Jesus, to be those followers. Um, and it was a very personal request, I think, that I was asking of us to be obedient to Christ, to model our lives upon Christ. And both Jesus and Moses are this, the, the first to do something different, to, do, to live differently, to be the one that stands out, to, to take that stand on the side of the mountain first, and to do something different. And then the disciples and Aaron are the first followers that give, give, give permission for others to do the same. I said earlier, I think that Bloomsbury here, we often see ourselves as, the, as that first shirtless nutter the leaders of movements, and I guess that has, I really believe that that has been true of us, that we have done that, that there are many things that we have done in the history of this church that would stand us out to be that thing. But also, I want to ask us, like, where have we been the first followers? Where have we been the less seen sort of position, that less seen leadership role? And do we have the bravery and the humility to do that? Do we have the humility to be part of a crowd, not just leading it? And I think, and I hope that we do. I think that I see that in the, the work that happens during the week that most of us on a Sunday don't see. We see our volunteers turning up tirelessly to run groups and programs. And on a Sunday, most of us don't see that. It's not, but actually they're part of a movement and they're part of the crowd. And that is a worthy and beautiful thing. 
The last thought that came to my mind, as I mentioned earlier, is this th thinking about where we have been over this last year and what opportunity is before us right now. As a church, we have been engaging in this vision process. I mentioned this as well last week. And for the most part, we have been assessing where we are right now, who we have been in the past, and who we hope we are going to become in the future. And at the moment, the process has been rather nebulous. It's been this kind of big ideas. Those of us who have been in some of the meetings have had to do these exercises that are very metaphorical and just coming up with lots of different words that we think will describe who we are and who we want to be. But over this next year are going to come those practical decisions. The what happens next, the what do we do now? We're going to have an opportunity in a few weeks' time to come together as a whole community to listen to the process that's happened already and to hopefully reflect back that, yes, the picture that has been painted is an accurate one. And hopefully it will be something that you all feel that you can get behind, that you can be part of this crowd, that you can be part of this movement that is Bloomsbury. And then will come the difficult part, the practical decisions. What are we going to do about this picture? Who is it that we want to be? What crowd is it that we want to be in? What crowd is it that we want to be leading? Exactly where do we believe God is leading us? Which mountain are we being called to go up? What nets are we being asked to drop so that we can follow Jesus? Last week's message was a message that was personal. This week, I hope that we can gather together as a community and as we move forward together, discern these things and be willing to be obedient. This week, I'm asking, are we brave enough to be those first followers? Are we brave enough to let go of what was, the safety of fishing, the comfortable boundaries of Midian, and we will be a people that follow. We will be a movement. I think of those disciples that let go of everything that they knew. They dropped the things that they were good at doing. The things that brought them security. And they stepped into the unknown. I think of Aaron who went up a mountain. No small feat. <laughs> it takes effort. It takes determination. It takes obedience. Both of these groups were willing to expound their comfort boundaries, to step out into the unknown, to do new things, to imagine another way. And my prayer for us is that we will be able to do the same, that we will be able to come before God, listen, be obedient, drop our nets, and climb that mountain. And our second reading is from St. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 9, commencing at verse 9, and page 9 in the New Testament uh, of the Pew Bible. The calling of Matthew. 
Now, as Jesus was walking along, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he got up and followed him. And as he sat at dinner in the house, many tax collectors and sinners came and were sitting with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he heard this, he said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have come to call not the righteous, but sinners. Amen. Thank you, Martin. Just going to have a quick swig. There's nothing like a subtle bottle, is there? Stay hydrated, kids. Have you, um, any of you ever heard the kind of the narrative around scripture that often was a, a trope that was always brought out when I was at Sunday school um, around it has to be ordained by God because how would all those authors all come together and produce something coherent? If you got a lot of contemporary authors in different rooms and asked them to write on one theme, they'd probably end up producing something that looked very different and they'd have different writing styles and it wouldn't quite fit together. And it suddenly struck me when we were faffing around with the tech in the corner, um, whether we're testing God this morning about whether this service is actually going to have any congruence to it whatsoever. Um, so we're going to see if the Spirit is with us this morning. I love a good meal with friends, whether it's Marmite on toast and a steaming mug of tea, or a feast in Albania with all the stops pulled out. I'll happily tell you a story another time in which I was served up a goat's head with eyeballs included, which is an interesting predicament for a vegetarian. I'm a conflicted foodie, wrestling with concerns that many of us face today, including health and wellness and sustainability. But what makes the meal a truly enjoyable experience is the company that I'm with. For those of us who belong to Christian communities, Bloomsbury or otherwise, we often find ourselves drawn to the dinner table with one another. This could be the regular Sunday lunch, and thanks to the team that have been busily preparing us for us today. Fellowship in our homes, social events, and perhaps we might even consider our time spent with bread and wine around the communion table in this way. And so a question for you this morning, probably one of many, look around the congregation right now and think about who you might like to invite for dinner. Don't worry, I'm not actually going to make you do that. Um, but also perhaps who you wouldn't like to invite for dinner. 
again, there's going to be no disclosures later on who you put on your lists. I often wonder whether people instantly regret inviting me round for a meal when I say that I'm a vegetarian who is on a low gluten and a low dairy diet, and that I don't really drink alcohol anymore either. Life and soul of the party, me. It does remind me of a, a sketch um, that I won't play this morning because it's with a little bit of foul language, but if you wanted to look later, it is quite witty, um, by Alan Carr, where he laments the kind of the modern dining experience and how everyone's got an allergy these days and you can't cook or create a meal easily for anyone, and I'm afraid that would be me. Or have you ever played that game where you are asked who you would invite for dinner, historical or present day, and it could be anyone? For me, I often like to subvert that a little bit, being the Baptist Trekkie that I am, and instead invite people from our future in which we've reached the stars and are seeking out new life and new civilizations amongst those bright, dot, bright dots in our sky. But perhaps there's also a time or times when we've regretted not participating in a meal one with friends which they still talk about years later that you decided not to attend. Or it might have been the significant birthday of a family member that you were caught up at work or abroad. It may have even been the last opportunity that you would have had to see someone again, but you missed it. I wonder if any of the religious leaders who refused Jesus and his teachings ever felt that way. Regret at the missed opportunity in sitting down to a meal with their God-made flesh. Whether they were ashamed of their dogmatism and exclusionary behavior and remorseful that they never took up the opportunity to break bread with their creator. In our reading from the Gospel of Matthew this morning, we are witnesses to just such an encounter. A rejection of the living word because of the company kept. It's a short excerpt of a broader narrative of one that we're perhaps all too familiar with, the human Christ attending meals with those deemed to be unworthy. And because of its familiarity, I believe it's easy to lose sight of what was occurring here. This was an act not only of fellowship and community, but of discipleship too. Discipleship is one of those funny religious words that Christians in particular like to bat about. But do we actually know what it means? Does it mean follower? companion, friend, apprentice, someone who's likely to fluff it up more than they get it often than they get it right. Probably all of these things. In our first sermonette of the day, Dawn explored the power of leadership, but also the strength and necessity in the act of following. One person out on their own as explained in the first video, is deemed to be a bit of a lone nut. One person leading a group of followers, well, perhaps there's something there. On Friday, across the UK and around the world,
people took to the streets to protest against the ineffective and benign efforts of our governments in dealing with the climate crisis, inspired by schoolchildren. These strikes began earlier in the year by brave and often mocked children and young people. I read a report on some of the early adopters of this movement, which included two children under the age of 12, who every cold Friday morning in January stood outside the Scottish Parliament and held their own protests by themselves. Do you remember their names? Or even that those two children did that? I certainly didn't. I couldn't tell you their names now. And yet, according to reports, on Friday the 20th of September 2019, millions took to the streets across the world. Tim, can we have the next video, please? You can't single-handedly change the world. You can't go around fighting with everybody about the small things, like using plastic bags or wasting water. But I think I can, and that's the reason why I'm here. What a profound sentiment. I went to the protest down by Westminster on Friday to find inspiration for my sermon today, um, but what I found, dare I say it, is a small sense of hope for the future. There have been protests about climate change for decades, yet never has there been scenes like Friday, the unified mobilizing of millions of people around the world. One person by themselves can easily be attacked, mocked, discredited. It's the followers that make the movement. Jesus, by himself, was attacked, mocked, and ultimately discredited in his death on the cross. Through the resurrection and his instruction to those early adopters to go and tell others so that there may be more followers, that's what made the movement. And let's be honest, God didn't need to involve us all in this project that we call planet Earth. God could simply have orchestrated it all from the beginning to end. No incarnation, no crucifixion, no resurrection, and certainly no global faith called Christianity. But God chose to allow us to join the movement, to be change makers as disciples. Perhaps the hardest question we have to ask ourselves as a community that looks and sounds a bit like Bloomsbury does is when does following look like rebelling? Because let's be clear, Jesus rebelled. His followers rebelled. Millennia of Christians since that time, since Christ, have rebelled. Baptists rebelled. The climate strikes come from a place of rebellion. We will skip school, not go to work, break some laws because the cause is bigger. The movement, the call to follow, they're bigger than the sensibilities of a society in denial. Christianity came from a place of rebellion. We will defy the dogmatic application of the law, welcome the unwelcomed, dine with the down and outs. We will give up our lives so that others might live. And so, 
as disciples of the living Christ at Bloomsbury, where do we need to follow those who have gone before us and start our own rebellion? Who do we need to invite to our table? Who do we need to say no more to? Who do we need to champion at the cost of ourselves? We only need to look out the front door of this church to see Jesus so clearly turning to us and saying, follow me in the lives of a lively, broken, challenging, beautiful, dirty city. The decision is down to us as to whether we do as Matthew did and get up and follow. In our intercessory prayers this morning, if you would like to join with me, there is a very simple response of amen. So when I say your kingdom come, the response is amen, if you would like to join with me. Let us pray. Our loving and good heavenly Father, we have been thinking about what it means to be a follower of Jesus to be a disciple, to be a disciple of the one who so many times said, I tell you the truth, to be a disciple of the one who still tells the truth. Help us in our adventure with Jesus to hear and respond to your truth with a let it be with a yes in our spirits. We pray for our world, the world that you created and the world that you so loved, that you so love. Our world that at the moment seems to be exchanging truth for lies, even identifying as post-truth making itself a stranger to the truth, knowingly accepting what is untrue and unable or unwilling to call a lie a lie. Forgive us. Help us to live as children of the truth and not as children of the father of lies. Orientate our world and its powers and principalities towards truth, toward the one who is truth, toward the freedom that comes from knowing truth and set our world free. Your kingdom come, amen. We pray for our country, which is divided and at times feels to be mad Things are uncertain. Relationships are damaged and broken. Hearts appear hard. We seem to have lost our way. We pray for healing in our country, for healing of relationships, for healing of our compassion, for softening of hearts, and for wisdom, truth, and grace to prevail. 
orientate our country and our leaders towards truth, toward the one who is truth, toward the freedom that comes from knowing truth and set our country free. Your kingdom come. Amen. We pray for our church, for the Fellowship of Bloomsbury, especially as we consider our vision, our future. Help us to discern where your Holy Spirit is active and to discern what you would have us give our time, resources and energies to. We pray for wisdom for Simon and Dawn and the deacons as they lead us. Help us to carefully listen to each other and to find a language of grace and truth that dares to speak of those difficult things that cannot easily be talked about. May we here be an expression of your kingdom, known as passionate followers of Jesus and open-hearted. May we work and speak and think for you. May Christ be formed in us. Orientate our fellowship, Bloomsbury, towards truth, toward the one who is truth, toward the freedom that comes from knowing truth, and set us free. Your kingdom come. Amen. And finally, Lord, we pray for each of us as individuals, each life, each complex set of circumstances and relationships. Set us free from the lies that others have spoken into us and also the lies that we tell ourselves. May the truth set us free. God, you give us our lives. Help us to follow you, to be a disciple, to give you all that we can yet become. May Christ be formed in each of us. Orientate each one of us towards truth, toward the one who is truth, toward the freedom that comes from knowing truth, and set each one of us free. Your kingdom come. Amen.